Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 125 of the podcast, and today I'm catching up with Kat Kagavis. Now, for those who don't know Kat, I have had the fortune of not only uh, following her through her journey on social media and everything, but she's also really good friends with my partner and her friends. So I've heard a lot about Kat, and she's been one that I've been meaning to have on the show for a while. Now, just because everything she's done in her life has been awesome, it's such a really interesting story. So um, all from uh, the failures of not becoming a doctor uh, from a year 12 score, but then uh, falling on her feet, becoming a dietitian, uh, moving over to West Africa. Now, this is really cool. So working and traveling through Tonga and then in Sierra Leone where she decided that um, there was a shortage for a teacher. So she went there and she started teaching. She did amazing things. She's run uh, marathons over there. She's helped with the community. Now she goes back all the time. So that's just a really interesting story in itself because a lot of people, and I know I had the sort of um, perceived vision that it's dangerous over there, but uh, from what Kat talks about, it's not. It's actually a beautiful place with lovely beaches and lovely people. Um, And now recently with her dietitian work, she's been up in remote Northern Australia, so working with Indigenous cultures um, on this awesome new theory and product that that she's bringing out. So, um, so many different takeaways today, guys. And um, the one thing I love about Kat is just her passion um, to to make a difference and help out uh, with obviously creating positive habits around food. So I think this has got so many different takeaways for so many different people. So guys, sit back. This is Kat. You're going to love my chat today. G'day everyone. I'm here with Kat. How are you buddy? All the way from Gold Coast. Now you've got something special to start off today's podcast. Hi, Dale. Thanks so much. I'd love to start our chat today by acknowledging the traditional owners on whose land that I'm currently based. So that's the Yugambeh-speaking people of the Gold Coast, as well as the First Nations people of all the lands of both yourself and your amazing listeners. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and to their emerging young leaders whom we have the privilege of teaching in our schools. Oh, fantastic. And I think that is a lovely way to start. And uh, not only that, we'll, we'll get a little bit of background, obviously up in the Gold Coast now, Kat, but um, your upbringing was uh, where I live now, down Bayside in Victoria. What was that like? That's it. I am a Bayside girl at heart and I spent most of my formative years yeah, living and loving the beaches around Bayside in, in Victoria and did all my schooling there, apart from a short little stint over in France, which I think is where I got the travel bug from as a, as a 16-year-old. And I did my most of my uni again in, in, a, in Melbourne, uh, studying to be a dietitian, apart from, again, a couple of stints overseas, uh, studying overseas and doing a volunteer project in the Pacific Islands in Tonga. And I guess from humble beginnings in Bayside and this little seed of, of travel that was planted as a teenager. Yeah, my journey has taken me uh, to different countries in the world and, and to some amazing parts of our own country as well. So, yeah, I now I'm uh, based yeah. on the Gold Coast, and which if you'd asked me, you know, as a young person or if you'd said to me I was going to live on the Gold Coast uh, in my early 30s, I probably would have 
laughed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I think it's. I think that's the beauty of where we live today, and and the possibilities of travel and uh, the accessibility of it all. So um, living in the Gold Coast, obviously the weather's amazing up there. But let's go back. So you've been a dietitian for eleven years now. What what was the initial reasoning that you wanted to study that at uh, university, Kat? That's a really good question, Dale, and. It's something that I like to share, especially with young people, because I was actually that teenager in high school who wanted to be a doctor. And so, you know, I chose all of my secondary school subjects to align with getting into medicine and I did all the entrance exams and I even flew up to Townsville and had an interview there. I was prepared to move and I didn't get in. And I was, again, one of those young people who sat on the stairs of Federation Square when we used to get our uni results and and entrance acceptance in the newspaper. And I sat there and and saw that I hadn't got my first preference of medicine. I hadn't even gotten my fourth or fifth preference. I think I checked recently and it was my seventh out of eighth preferences. I know. And so I was absolutely shattered, but I was accepted into nutrition and dietetics at Deakin University and I'd never even been to visit Deakin and you know my 17 year old world collapsed around me and my parents and good friends did everything you know to try and convince me to go to uni and to give it a try and to be honest from day one I never looked back and I guess I share that story because I think there's so much pressure placed on young people these days that, you know, their results from school dictate, you know, the rest of their life. But I think that it's an example of, you know, we never know what's what's in store for us. And here I was thinking that I wanted to be a doctor and instead I've become a dietitian and since a teacher and I wouldn't have chosen any other path, honestly. I had the best time at uni. It, I've got the greatest friends and had the most incredible experiences. And, yeah, so suddenly I, here I was studying to be a dietitian and I, I loved, honestly, I, I loved it from start to finish and, and still do love being a dietitian. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so funny how things work out. And I think the biggest takeaway, and I'm sure you share this all the time in stories, is that um, just being open and things happen for a reason. And what we're going to talk about today, you can definitely tell that things have happened for a reason. And, as, and for missing out on being a doctor, it's worked out pretty damn well. So the travel bug, I I love this. And I know that you did, you were mentioning there that you did some study abroad in France and so forth like that and in Tonga. But um, then we went to West Africa and this is what I really want to talk about. Now, I've traveled through Africa and loved it, but not West Africa. So you went over there and um, really helped with some nutrition and health projects and some teaching and things like that. Do you want to explain what that was like? Because I really want to know about this cat. Absolutely. And Dale, you're lucky because it is one of my most favourite things to talk about. <laughs> Great. I, I probably like you, I had a dream of going to Africa and I am really lucky in that I actually have some African cousins. My auntie and uncle adopted children from Africa. So they have a beautiful daughter from Ethiopia and twin sons from Sierra Leone. Oh, cool. And so I always thought to myself, I'll probably go to Ethiopia and, you know, 
other people go there and it's, you know, safer than West Africa where all you know about West Africa is if you've seen the film Blood yeah, Diamond with definitely. Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, you just know that there's lots of sad stories that happen over there and war and, and devastation. And suddenly I had the opportunity to not go to East Africa but to have an adventure in West Africa and that's what I did. So it's about, I think it's actually I'm looking at the date now, Eight years ago to this day, I think I left Australia with a one-way ticket and initially my plans were to spend six weeks doing some volunteer projects in Sierra Leone, so working with mainly orphaned and vulnerable children, but I also did a little stint uh, staying by the beach and working on an ecotourism community development project, which was awesome. So six weeks just wasn't enough. And I did have my ticket out of there and spent some time travelling in North Africa and, and in Europe, but I didn't actually come back to Australia. I flew straight back to West Africa and I was involved in another volunteer project over there then, which was managing an ecotourism project, and that was incredible. So I lived amongst community and, you know, we had guests come and visit us from all over the world. And we, I guess my main focus there was not only just making sure people had great experiences in the country, but making sure that people's eating experiences were also pretty special. And so we did a lot of work back then um, around sustainable foods, uh, working at, you know, decreasing food miles, so sourcing foods from as local as possible. We were really lucky to film a documentary for MTV around what we were doing at the time. So that was cool. And, you know, on in my spare time, I was working with local football teams and supporting them with nutrition and still keeping up my work with community development with these orphans that I was, you know, going to visit them in their remote villages and uh, training them really to become runners. And that's something that we shared from the very beginning was this love of running. And so my third year in Sierra Leone, I signed up for the Sierra Leone Marathon. Wow. And by this time, I had done a couple of different volunteer stints, but I had moved to the Big Smoke, uh, the capital city called Freetown. And I was working then uh, in a couple of different jobs, which, yeah, I can go into in a moment. But the, the Sierra Leone Marathon was an amazing experience. And together with uh, some children from different parts of the country, we came to the a city called McKenney, and we shared this joy of running together. And uh, up till this day, it's still something that I, I share with the kids. And on my most recent trip to Sierra Leone, uh, there's some fabulous photos of me driving my car filled with donated shoes and clothing and uh, incredible items from the communities I'm involved with here on the Gold Coast driving it all the way down to Melbourne, packing it into 120 kilos worth of wow. luggage, 15 bags, the lady at poor Melbourne Airport thought <laughs> 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 I was crazy, but delivering this gear over to these kids that otherwise have nothing. And so that was a, a really special journey just recently. I've kind of digressed a little bit, but, you know, I guess I just want to show that my, my relationship with this country is still ongoing um, and I'm so grateful for everything that this country and, and the experiences I had there taught me. And what it did teach me or, or the path that it led me to was teaching. And I've always loved working with kids since a really young age as a, a young aspiring ballerina. 
I was teaching kids ballet and then that evolved into teaching kids swimming and teaching kids yoga and I'd always just loved being around kids and the energy that they have. And a friend of mine contacted me and said, Kat, we are desperate at the international school here for a French teacher. The other ones walked out, you know, can you can you come and help us? And I thought to myself, oh, gosh, a French teacher. You know, I'm, I do speak French, but I went and had an interview with the school principal and, and I started the next week. So suddenly <laughs> I was not just a teacher, but I was a French teacher in an international school in Sierra Leone. <laughs> and so I had an absolute ball uh, learning with the kids and some of which were French speakers, which was quite funny, um, but their parents were hugely supportive and, you know, were grateful that, you know, the curriculum could continue. So I taught French for the next six months and then I had the opportunity to stay on as the French teacher or go into a class. And so I thought, oh, it'd be nice to teach in my first language and to have my own class. And so I, I then went into teach year two, which was absolutely wonderful. I loved, loved being, um, yeah, having, having my own class and building those relationships over the course of a year with the kids. Uh, that year finished at the same time that the Ebola virus oh, well. ripped through West Africa. And it basically sent me home. And it was a really devastating time for Sierra Leone and surrounding countries. And it was a really scary time. And I guess I can just describe it as, you know, they, they assured us that they had it under control. Yet it was almost like this big black cloak was coming from the east and slowly engulfing the country as it spread this awful invisible virus in its yeah. wake. And it came closer and closer and closer to the capital city and then it reached the capital city. And what it meant for the country is the country basically went into lockdown mode again, you know, just just over a decade after being in lockdown from a civil war. You know, kids weren't able to go to school anymore. They closed all the education systems. You know, people had curfews. People weren't moving around. And this is a country of, you know, I've never been in a country where people are more friendly and vibrant and welcoming and give you the biggest smiles. And suddenly it was just this air of sadness for reason. And it was a really devastating time. And I think for me what was most devastating is that I couldn't be there and do anything about it. And so I was back in... Melbourne then feeling really lost and really helpless and yeah it was a real transition point for me I guess um and it was where to from here where do you go after living in West Africa and yeah. then being thrown involuntarily back into Melbourne well, um, so so many so many things that got like that you're over there and you didn't even think you were going to go there and then all of a sudden you're teaching French and you're in a classroom and you're doing so many amazing things in this culture with just you know you're absolutely loving and then all of a sudden that's taken away from you something you never thought you had probably like you thought you're going to be a doctor but then a dietitian and now you're in West Africa and now you're back at home <laughs> like just so many different things going on there so how did you um you know like so many exciting things happening and then it feels like it's, that door sort of shut how, how did you it deal shut, with that it, it shut and and I didn't want it to shut yeah. and so that was really tricky um I dealt with it I mean, I was really lucky because I was home in Melbourne then and 
I was around, you know, my, my beautiful family and friends. And so that was fantastic. I, I kept connected with a West African community in Melbourne. And this was what really got me through this period because we ended up organizing an epic fundraiser where we brought a lot of people together from, you know, the West African and wider community. And we just had a day of celebrations, really. You know, we we shared West African drumming and dancing and we showed documentaries and we had live music and we just had this amazing program. And, you know, we fundraised in the lead up, we fundraised on the day and we ended up raising, you know, a significant amount of money that we then were able to distribute to projects that were happening in that moment in West Africa that were fighting the Ebola virus. So that's what I did to feel like I was doing something for the country that had done so much for me. From a professional perspective, I was also at a crossroads because I'd been teaching, but, you know, at that stage I, I I hadn't any university qualifications that said I was a teacher. You know, I was a dietitian. So I actually... In that those in that moment, I started looking for work, and a job came up in Alice Springs. And I had spent a little bit of time in Alice Springs. My parents had both um, lived there, and I'd been to visit them while they were living and working there. And so it wasn't an unfamiliar place. And I think the selling point for me was the job description, where it said you must be willing to drive four-wheel drives or fly in small airplanes out to remote communities. And I just thought, well, that sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I ended up moving from Melbourne to Alice Springs, where I took a job as a public health nutritionist and dietitian. And my role there was, I was based in Alice Springs, that's where my office and home and everything were. But every, usually every second week, we packed a bag and, and we went out to remote Aboriginal communities in the middle of the desert. And these couple of years were a real privilege, you know, being invited onto other people's countries and, you know, sharing and learning together with our Indigenous communities was a really humbling experience. And I think that it was actually the next perfect step for me in my development professionally and personally. So, yeah, the next two years I I really enjoyed... um, working out in remote communities, getting some really exciting and interesting nutrition projects up and running. And I continuously found myself drawn to those schools and working with the kids. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's so, it's so, I just think it's great. And you've obviously got this caring nature about you that you really want to make a difference. And obviously in Sierra Leone and up far north in Australia is where you can make the biggest impact. So, um, I know I sort of cut you off a little bit there, Kevin. Is this okay. where you're like, I, I can make such a big reach here, I can have such a difference on these communities? Is this where, like, things started ticking over in your head? Because I know you, you're doing so many amazing things now, but did you sort of get that because um, you weren't in the main school sort of system or in a in a major city? Is Do you reckon you figured all this stuff out because you were so remote? I think I think you're, you're spot on, and... You know, working in these communities, you know, we, as long as we were working with, within what the community identified as their needs, you know, we were really, we had quite a broad job description. And so 
we were able to be really creative and to develop really interesting programs. And I guess, like I said, you know, as I was continuously drawn to this school environment, I thought, gosh, it's time I got that qualification. You know, I really do want the piece of paper that says that I can I can teach in schools because I can see the real potential here of working across the health and the education spaces. You know, we were, we were, we were seeing it, it was transformative and without sounding, you know, without sounding negative or having a deficit approach, after being a dietitian for so many years and seeing a lot of adults come through those doors with multiple health complications. You know, we hear about diabetes, kidney disease, heart disease, uh, stroke, cancers. You know, our adults are getting sicker and it's more evident in remote communities and in Indigenous communities in general in, in our country. And so I think, you know, I'm starting to put all these pieces of the puzzle together. People are sick. We've got this captive audience that are of kids that are interesting and engaging and want to learn about health and nutrition, you know, how can we capitalise on this and create a healthier next generation? And I guess that's where, you know, the seeds really were starting to be planted. Yeah, and do you, do you think with that, like obviously as a nation, uh, I, I call it laziness because everything's so easy now. You don't need to leave the house to get Uber Eats. You don't need to cook meals because they're already cooked for you. There's all these different things. And are you finding that because our generation is lazy that they're passing that on to the kids? Are you finding it hard to – you're educating the kids, but then they go home and their role models aren't educated like they are? Is there is there a flow-on sort of effect like that? Yeah, it's re- it's really a tricky situation and you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the role modelling. And if that's what kids are being exposed to in their, their home and their, their living environments, then it's kind of like you know, how, do, how do you change that? You know, where, where can that change occur? And I think that's where education can be really powerful. You know... How many times have kids learned something at school and they can't wait to share it with people that they care about? And I guess that why why can't we think about nutrition and health in the same way? And so I guess my vision and the way that I see, you know, health and education really starting to work together successfully is empowering kids with these knowledge, this knowledge base, and I guess supporting them to be the change makers to be the leaders in their communities. And I guess we might go on to talk about this, but, you know, with my journey of studying to be a teacher and, and you know, being really privileged to be in a few different schools during my placement periods, I got the chance to trial this in reality. You know, how could it look if we embed nutrition in a meaningful way in different schools and teach kids to be these these leaders. And, yeah, that's the journey that I've ended up going down and, and hope to continue to go on. 
Yeah, nice. So when when you've been obviously implementing these and in the communities that you've gone to, you've probably had uh, a really good reach and you've been able to make a big impact. What are some of the results that have come from uh, your studies, um, not only as a dietitian but as a teacher and working obviously in Africa and now in remote Australia? So results of... Oh, just just like changing culture, changing perspective, um, the the way people view health. Mm, no, that's a that's a really good question. At at this stage, you know, I've been really lucky to trial this idea in a couple of different communities, as you mentioned. And you know, what has really inspired me is how the kids have taken on these projects and how they have involved themselves in these projects and how they've created ownership over these projects. And one example is in a remote community, uh, an island community of the coast of Queensland, we created this unit. We taught, uh, I taught it over th- about a three-week period with the end outcome being that the kids and I should add that these were prep age children, so they were around five years old, they actually created healthy food options for their school canteen or their school tuck shop. And that was the end result of these weeks of learnings and and the kids engaging with, you know, health literacy, engaging with nutrition, engaging with different foods. We actually had a whole session where the kids tried all of these different healthy foods and then they were able to indicate on a graph whether they liked it or whether they didn't like it. And we added up all the results from the kids' choices to then, you know, help us decide what we could put in our, on our school tuck shop menu. And I guess this is a really lovely example of, you know, the kids being empowered come up with these ideas themselves to be able to see something in reality that affects their day-to-day life world and also has that wider reach on their community because, you know, they're one class in the school of seven other classes. And so, you know, that was really exciting and, and they were involved in every step of that process as well. So, you know, they became these little entrepreneurs. I think that was my favourite part about this project and we, you know, very seriously went and met with the tuck shop manager and we had rehearsed, you know, what we're going to share with the tuck shop manager, you know, that we've been trying foods, we've been learning about foods, these are our favourite foods. What I didn't prepare is any questions, but while we were there I thought, I'll give the kids a chance to ask any questions. And so one of the little girls puts her hand up and she says, I'm just wondering, when exactly are our snack packs, which we called them, going to be made available in the tuck shop? And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. This five-year-old has totally owned this project to the point where she wants to know, come on, when when are we going to see it, you know, in reality? And then I was a bit blown away and and I thought, oh, gosh, are there any more questions? So I asked the kids again, another little boy who was habitually one of the quieter kids in the class he put his hand up I thought oh my goodness and he said I'm just wondering how are we going to attach the labels that we made to the packaging 
<laughs> Seriously, Dale. <laughs> I was speechless, which doesn't happen very easily. But I was so proud of these kids because they, like I said, they totally were owning that project. And so this is a little example, but these it's the kind of example that fills me with excitement. And so, you know, I'd love to see projects, more projects like this getting getting off the ground. Wow, that's, uh, that is amazing. And um, I was recently reading uh, that awesome article that you had published into Practical Literacy, and I'll have a link on the show notes. So, guys, if you go to the show notes, click on the link, have a read about it because it's awesome. And I love what Kat's doing. And now you've got a big vision. So um, you really want to uh, incorporate the health, the education in schools and make it practical like you've just done. So you're really setting up lifelong learners on that healthy journey. So, Kat, what's your vision for five, ten years with this work? Obviously, it's worked so well with those prep kids. Where do you see this going or what do you want to see happen? Yeah, thanks. This is really, I guess, you know, my little seed now that's being planted and and I can't wait to see it grow and and flourish and develop over these coming years. You know, this, without getting too, you know, teachery, the Australian curriculum has done a good job at including nutrition now across the curriculum. So there is nutrition present, not just in the health curriculum anymore and the health and PE curriculum, but, you know, it's embedded within science. It's embedded within design and technologies. So kids are being or should be being exposed to this curriculum a lot more than perhaps we have been in the past. I guess what I'm taking note of and experiencing as, you know, I'm working in a lot of different schools at the moment is that it's one thing for it to be in curriculum, but the next thing is, is that curriculum being covered if it's being covered you know is it being covered in in a way that kids are connecting to and you know we have a really cluttered curriculum they they like to use that word yeah whereas literacy and numeracy are the buzzwords so you know unless it, it can fit into those categories you know teachers are freaking out because they've got to prepare their kids for all these nation- nationwide tests and so they're really focusing on those things, literacy, numeracy, literacy, numeracy, with a few other add-ons in between. I guess what I've been able to demonstrate in these small projects, one of which we just talked about, is that you can actually teach nutrition through literacy and you can teach nutrition through numeracy. So you don't have to be thinking, oh, my gosh, the kids are missing out on all those other things we need to teach. But it's about getting a bit creative with curriculum, which is what I'm really excited about and and what I really want to continue to do. There are nutrition programs out there. There are nutrition lesson plans out there, but it's a real one size fits all approach. And every school that I've worked at, whether it's here on the Gold Coast, whether it's in the Northern Territory, whether it's in far North Queensland, every school is different. Every context is different. The makeup of each school is different. So you can't necessarily take a one size fits all approach with health and wellbeing because what we have access to here on the Gold Coast is completely different to what we have access to in Melbourne or in rural and remote parts of our country. So I guess, you know, the dream is to be able to work with schools on a really more personal level, whether it's one-on-one or whether it's with a cluster of schools, and to support them to embed this curriculum meaningfully, to connect with the different parts of that curriculum that we have to teach, the literacy and the numeracy skills. 
you know, on one of my placements last year, we were able to, with year one students in our reading groups, learn how to read food labels. And the kids loved it. They loved being able to connect with cereal boxes and and to understand what some of those words and numbers meant. Now that's literacy and numeracy, but it's yeah. also health education. And it's so it's so important too because a lot of the time adults can't read those labels. So like nobody can because they try and describe it and hide things in there. So I think that's awesome. So obviously this is going to be fantastic and we're going to keep working to roll this out, Kat, and you're doing great stuff. What are maybe two or three tips? So if we've got teachers or parents that are listening now that um, – they could just implement straight away or they could um, have conversations with young kids or just even for themselves that they could do to really improve our overall healthy eating, our quality of life and what we put in our bodies. Yeah, great question. I think it goes back to that idea that I shared about each context being different. And I think it's about having a really solid understanding of what your health and wellbeing context looks like. So, for example, here on the Gold Coast, you know, um, I'm working in schools. I'm also, you know, involved in lots of sporting communities here. My brother's also a primary school teacher, so we talk about this regularly. But a lot of people don't know that the Queensland government has, you know, $100 that they can give to families to support kids to access sport. So I think it's about, like I said, being aware of your context. What exists where you are that can support kids to lead healthy lives. So that's one example, you know, what kind of sporting or well-being or wellness is around you, but also having a think about um, the eating environment. So, you know, again, on one of my placement experiences, we decided that we were going to have a focus, a school-wide focus on, you know, drinking more water. And then I went to the three most commonly visited stores in that local community, one of which was a service station, one was a cafe, and one was the Woolworths. Now, do you think you could find a cold bottle of water in any of those places? I've taken some incredible photos of what the fridges look like in these three spaces, and that really affects what people can choose when they go to try and make an informed choice. Let me guess, there's a lot of soft drink? Heaps of soft drink. I've never seen so much soft drink or I've never seen, you know, sports drinks available in such large sizes. And, you know, this was really powerful to take this information back to the kids and talk to them about, you know, a lot of kids, you know, they they know, a lot of people know, you know, what are the healthier choices that we can make. But when we go into our environment, those choices can be challenging because we're confronted with all the other nice, colourful, pretty things. You know, why Why would we then go and look for a warm bottle of water on the shelf, which is what one of the young kids told me. You know, they live in the tropics. They don't want a bottle of water <laughs> oh, on the shelf. And for, for international listeners, uh, it... It gets extremely hot up there. That'd be like having a, a hot cup of water sitting on the shelves that you're trying to entice the kids to get. Exactly. So I guess, you know, the point of my rant is it's really important to be aware of those contexts that your kids are being exposed to, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Where are they going shopping? You know, where where can they access 
outdoor spaces or sporting activities? And, and how might you be able to support kids and families to make healthier choices in their own environments? Yeah, I guess that's from a really, really practical nah, point of view. That's, uh, but it's so true. I know, and um, a lot of the time you see kids uh, having it, and and not a, not, I see energy drinks, but the sports drinks because they think it's healthy. Whereas um, we need to teach about sugar and things like that because it's a silent killer. But as you said, if uh, the shops and things aren't on board as well by having cold water accessible, then we're really fighting an uphill battle. And I, I can imagine up, particularly up in the North End where it's so hot, cat that the last thing you want to do is go and grab a hot bottle of water from the shelf because it's good for you. Exactly. You've nailed it. So, and, and what I loved about that little anecdote is that it was, you know, post these kids starting to go on this journey of learning about how important water is for our body, that they went into their local environment and they observed that and they came back and told me that. So, again, you, you're educating kids to ask questions. And I think that that's really important and something that my parents always instilled in me, you know, ask questions. If you don't understand, ask. And so I think that, yeah, that's a really powerful little example. Yeah, it's it's so true. And I think any time you can get a question out there, that's the only way you really learn. So um, now I'm going to have uh, on our show notes, there'll be links so you can contact Kat. And if you want to just get a couple of ideas that she's been doing, because it is awesome, read that article because there's going to be a link there. Now, Kat, before I let you go, because I know your time's precious, you were doing amazing things, I always like to ask my guests one little question towards the end. And um, if you could go back to 18-year-old Kat when you are probably sitting out the front of Federation Square, not getting in <laughs> to be a doctor. Um, I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but from all you travelling through Africa, um, you know, from being a dietitian, from working up north, for doing all this amazing work you're doing, is there one bit of advice that you wish you could have told your 18-year-old self back then? I love this question. Uh, <laughs> there's probably a few, a few little pearls of wisdom. Dale, I'm, I, I get a feeling that we, we might be a bit similar in this regard, but I'm a yes person. <laughs> and so when people, you know, ask me to do something or when something, you know, someone dangles a bit of a carrot in front of me, I, I, I say, I always say yes. And I have had a lifelong history of overcommitting myself to the per- point where sometimes I, I end up being really sick. Yep. And so I guess that would be a little bit of advice that I'm still working on, you know, in my 30s, trying to, you know, make sure that I have time for myself and that, you know, I don't let FOMO creep in, (laughs) fear of missing out um, when I can't, you know, physically do something. So, yeah, I guess it's about that idea of overcommitting and and working within your your boundaries and your, um, your abilities and you know, I, I can function off very little sleep. So, you know, I do try and pack so much into my day, but, you know, sometimes I think it's really important to have those moments to pause and reflect. And I'm, I'm, my next studies is I'm, I'm going to finalize being a yoga teacher. So, you know, I am really trying to work on that, that Zen side, that yin side to my yang. So I guess that would be a little um, bit of advice for my 18 year old self, oh, as well as a little, saying that was shared with me a couple of weeks ago and it really resonated and I think it goes hand in hand and it's remove that from your life that doesn't serve you. And I think that, you know, we all clutter our lives with lots of bits and information and people and 
I think sometimes we just need to have a little bit of a a moment to think, okay, you know, is that important in my life going forward? And yeah, so I think that that kind of does nicely fit in with that idea of always committing to everything, that it's okay to say no and that it's okay to, you know, move on from things that maybe have been important in the past to, you know, create your path for the future. So Yeah, I, I, I love that, Karen. And when you go back and see your 18-year-old self, can you tell 18-year-old Dale that as well? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head. You won't even need to tell 33-year-old Dale that to say no now. <laughs> oh, Anyway, mate, thank you so much today. I know people will be listening and they can just tell by the passion that you have for this that um, it's, it's the start of an amazing journey. And I can't wait to see this blossom. And hopefully if people are listening and um, you're as passionate about it so you can just feel the energy that Kat's doing and the work and everything like that then please reach out to her Kat where can we contact you I'm more than happy to be contacted on any of my socials so I'm on Twitter I'm on Instagram uh, email's great as well and I'm in the process of updating my LinkedIn so you can have that link as well awesome. and I would love to create a community of people that are like-minded in this space and to really pave pave the path of what this could look like for, you know, the future of our young people in Australia. You know, let's create a healthier generation of Aussies. And, yeah, that's what I'm really excited about. Cool. And I, and I think you're doing it at exactly the right time because social media has got, even though it's got a lot of negatives, it has also got so many amazing benefits and positives that we can work together all around Australia and even the world if you're passionate about this because um, I feel that obesity and eating habits are something that we all need to really focus on. So guys, I will have all those links for Kat's socials, her email on episode 125 on the podcast. Now, Kat, thank you so much for your time today. I've loved listening to it. Not only your stories of traveling, but just the passion you have for what you're doing. I'm uh, really excited to watch this space. Thanks, Dale. And if anyone wants to come and run the Sierra Leone Marathon with me in 2020, let me know. I'm going to be organizing a running yoga beach retreat over in West Africa. Wow. All right. Well, we uh, there you go. We'll uh, stay tuned for that as well. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Dale. No worries, Kat. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. <laughs>